we do have something to sing out and something to shout about. Our Lord and our God. Again, I'm glad you're here this morning. I'm glad you're worshiping with us. And I invite you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. Go ahead and find your Bible. Open it up to Luke chapter 10. We're going to be begin this service by reading verses 1 through 9 together. Before we do that, however, I want to remind you of our theme and our focus that we're going through January and February of this year. It's preparation 2021. We are preparing for the journey. And frankly, we're all on a journey. Life is a journey. You've heard the uh, metaphor used uh, many, many times, probably too many times. But the Christian life particularly is defined as a walk, is defined as traveling, is defined as a journey. And this morning, the title of the message is Bringing Others Alone. As you go through our prayer time together, one of the great things that we've done throughout this month is to spend time praying over the same passages of Scripture and over the same truths and for the same needs together as a people. And as we turn our focus this week, we're going to be praying that we will be an evangelistic people. Now, we're going to be praying for our community and for the neighborhoods and for the lost in our areas of people that we know who need to know the Lord. But we're also praying for ourselves, that God will give us a heart, uh, passion and compassion for people that Jesus came to seek and to save. And so open your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 10. Now, in our journey, as we will see in our text, we're not just aimlessly wandering around. We are traveling with purpose. And I don't know if you've ever been on those trips where you just got in the car and said, let's just go somewhere and we'll figure out where we're going on the way. Uh, I will tell you that I would be more inclined to that. Um, most everybody else in my family would rather have a plan and a destination and reservations. Uh, the neat thing about where we're going is that we have the Holy Spirit who goes before us. When we have the Lord Jesus Christ himself who sends us on a journey with purpose, we have been called, we have been sent, uh, appointed, is what we'll see in our text today. And we have a task, a specific task as we do this, and that is to bring others along, to prepare the way for the Lord. We will find at times that it is difficult, called opposition in our text. And we are to, as an aid in evangelism, genuinely love, genuinely care for those that God has placed in our life and in our mission field. Now, before we read Luke chapter 10, let's remember the context. And I hope some of you, at least, will remember when we studied this recently as we were going through the book of Luke consecutively. All the way up through chapter 9, the Lord's ministry has been after His birth is recorded. And, of course, John the Baptist in, in Luke chapter 1. His ministry began in the northern area, up around the Sea of Galilee, Gennesaret, that area up there, Capernaum. And now, in chapter 9, he turned his face toward Jerusalem. And so he begins to head south. Picking up in chapter 10, verse 1. After this, the Lord appointed 72, now these 72 aren't named, just 72 people of his followers. He appointed, appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. That sounds exciting, doesn't it? I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, 
no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace or person of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide. For the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near you. Let's pray together. Father, as we look at this text and as we look at other passages of Scripture this morning, I pray that your Holy Spirit will speak to our hearts. This is an unusual setting for us. We're here in the office building, smaller group. We don't get to see the faces that we would normally see. Many of our people are worshiping and following along from their homes. Uh, and uh, some will be actually watching this service at a later time. But Father, I pray that as we look into your word, that your Holy Spirit will find us right where we are. That you'll teach us the things that we need to know. That you will convict us of the sins that we need to confess. That you will inform us of truths that we need to embrace and grab. And Father, that you will lead us into obedience. I particularly think, Father, of the community that you've placed us in. We're here today on Arlington Avenue. And the neighbors that live around us. And the people, the thousands of people who live within a half a mile radius or one mile circle diameter around us who desperately need to know the Lord Jesus Christ, who desperately need to be forgiven of sins, who desperately need to be brought to life, who need to be sought and saved by the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, you have appointed us, you have called us, you've given us a a tremendous opportunity and privilege to be filled with your spirit, and then to do your work, to enable you to do your work in us and through us. As we become vessels or instruments or utensils even, utilized, spent, and expended for your glory to accomplish your purpose. And so, Father, you speak to our hearts, igniting us the passion that you would have us to have, to be obedient in all things, particularly in this subject this morning. We love you, and we're grateful. We trust you. In your name I pray. Amen. Evangelism is a non-negotiable. Now, if you're following along and you have your worship guide, if you're on the website, the very first statement up there is that evangelism is a non-negotiable. What do you think of when you think of evangelism? A lot of us think of evangelist with the hair slicked back and shouting around, or you think of the street preacher, or you think of the guy who's handing out tracts, or it, you just don't see yourself in the role of an evangelist, except that we need to recognize that evangelism is the task, is the privilege that God has given to every Christian, and it is a non-negotiable. And you may say, well, you can't get that from this text. This is a historical text. There was a time when Jesus was up in the Galilee region, when he turned his face toward Jerusalem, when he looked out across his followers, and he picked 72 of them. Now, I always wondered why 72? Why not 150? You know, what was the number? What was the issue? Of course, Jesus, in his wisdom as God, picked 72 and they went to destinations that he was headed for to prepare his way. He was heading south. Uh, Luke chapter 9, I think it's verse 51, it says Jesus had turned his face toward Jerusalem and they went ahead of him not to make arrangements. They didn't make reservations. 
They weren't there to make sure he had food and things to eat. They went to prepare the hearts and minds of, of the people to hear the message of the Lord. Even in this text, verse 2, Jesus laments that there are not enough laborers. And he calls for prayer. And this is not the first time. He's done this earlier, recorded in Matthew chapter 9. And he's done this throughout his ministry. And he uses this same metaphor, if you will. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And so I just want to begin by telling you something that you already know. If you're here and you're a believer, if you are listening to this sermon and you have your Bible open and you have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, you already know this. You know that evangelism is part of what we are called to do. You remember when Jesus first began his ministry and he called Peter and the others. And he said, and you can complete this thought at least in your mind, if not in person. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Again, the call from the very beginning. Paul further emphasized this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, there's a verse that we're all familiar with, but I want to read it in its whole context, just picking up in verse 17. If Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. Now, he goes on to tell where that's from. All of this is from God, who through Christ did something amazing. Let me tell you what he did. He reconciled us to himself. And then he did something else that's amazing. And we need to get this. He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Who's the us there? Is Paul just talking about him, or maybe Paul and Barnabas, or maybe Paul and Silas, or maybe Paul and John Mark, or maybe just Paul and Timothy, or just Paul and Titus, or just uh, Priscilla and Aquila, or Phoebe, or just those two people? No, not at all. Everyone who has been reconciled has been given the ministry of reconciliation. We know that. He keeps going. That, that is, what was this ministry of reconciliation? What does this being reconciled mean? In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, forgiving sins, remember, applied to Christ on the cross, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation, the message, the news. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. And here's the good news. God making his appeal through us. We implore you, he's begging, on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God for our sake. And he, he, Again, this is, this is Paul and this should be our hearts. You, you, you can't come to the end of this without again emphasizing God's grace and God's miraculous work in Christ. For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, Jesus so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And I don't think anybody's going to argue with the fact that Christians are called to be evangelists. The Great Commission is to go therefore, as you go, a part of civil, as you go therefore to all nations, ta ethna, every group of people, regardless of race, language, or whatever, every tribe, every, every grouping of people, go to every person in those groups to do what? To make disciples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe whatsoever things I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Throughout the scripture, all the way from the Old Testament, where, where God established Israel as his people, the Jews as his people, and he gave them the commission to be light to the world. All the way down through the New Testament, where Jesus tells his followers that we are to be the light of the world. And I hope that you will feel as I do. 
the conviction of the Holy Spirit over missed opportunities. That we may confess and repent and be forgiven, but also that He will stir up within us a passion and a desire for lost people and that we won't waste any more time. So what does it mean to be an evangelist? Euangelion. Anybody speaking Greek this morning? Euangelion. Ooh means good. And I always thought that was funny in Greek class. With the ooh, and that means good. <laughs> so, ooh, good. Angelos, you guys know angelion, angel, messenger, message. Euangelion simply means the good message or the good news. It's used in Mark 1.15 where the call is to repent and believe the good news. A different form of the word, euangelizo, means to bring the good news. In, in Acts 14, we bring you good news. And then evangelist is one who gives the good news. And that is what Paul told Timothy to do, not to forget to do, in his work pastoring the church there in Ephesus when he said to do the work of an evangelist. Now in our text, they are to prepare the way for Christ. So what is evangelism? Frankly, it's to prepare people that Jesus is coming. You guys know Jesus came once, but you also know He's coming again. We don't know when. We don't know the day. We don't know the season. Anybody tells you they do, don't listen to them. The Bible says we cannot know. We will not know. He'll come like a thief in the night. And so we must be prepared. Always ready. And part of what we're to do while we are here is to spread the gospel, to spread the good news, the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, to prepare people for His second coming. Just like those 72 were preparing those people to receive the message of Christ when He came, and to receive Christ when He came, we are to be preparing people for the second coming of of Christ. We're to let them know that He has come and died in order to bring us the spiritually dead to spiritual life. That He forgives sin. That He is the way to God, the only way to God. And we are to call. We are to invite them to repent of sin and to have faith in Him. And here's the thing. When we, have you, and have you ever done that? Have you ever had a gospel conversation with someone? And sometimes, they're ambivalent. Now, I will tell you, that has not been the majority of my experiences. But I have had times where I've talked to somebody about the Lord Jesus Christ, and they're like, well, okay, yeah, thanks for letting me know. And they're just uh, very ambivalent. Uh, I've had other times where I've had people just tell me I'm not interested, don't want to know it, this is not the time, not the place, uh, just just uh, opposing or or... And honestly, never really under attack, but a not receptive audience, even argumentative. And then, of course, there are other times when people's heart have been prepared and they are very open. When Jesus sent out the 72, he knew that that was what that they could expect as well. In our text, Luke 10, verses 3 through 8, we'll read verse 3, Go your way. Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves, and I want to wolves, and I want to emphasize the second point. Evangelism is hard. Evangelism is hard. Now, can I tell you, it's not as hard as we make it out to be. But if it were easy and it were low effort and it were something we could do in our own strength or in our own power, we would be much better evangelists than we are. Um Do you know how many people live in Greenville, South Carolina? According to the 2019 2019 census, they're right at 70,000 people who live in the city limits, who have lived in the city limits where I'm standing right now. 
and less than 8% of them are in church in the city limits on any given Sunday morning. Now, those aren't hard and fast, but I can tell you right now that most of the people, if you get in your car and you leave this place and you drive around and you look at the number of people who are worshiping corporately in a congregation in the body of Christ, it is by far a significant minority of the people around us who have no relationship to a church and which in some ways at least is indicative of not having a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. All of that to say, while this is a great calling, it is not something that we can do apart from the power of Christ. He knew it was going to be hard for these guys that he was sending out. He said, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Well, that sounds like fun. And you could always think, well, okay, I'll carry my visa and my American Express, and if it gets too hard, we'll find a hotel to stay in. But what's the next thing he said? Verse 4, carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road, no, hand, no, no begging, no panhandling, none of that. Whatever house you enter first, say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him, but if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide. For the laborer deserves his wages. And do not go from house to house. Don't always be looking for better accommodations. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat whatever is set before you. And I know some people that say, well, that's hard enough right there. Just eat whatever's on the table. And yet, I want us to understand, I think there's just a few observations I want us to draw from those verses, verses 3 through 8. The first of all is that we don't depend upon our own resources to be the evangelist God calls us to be. We depend upon the provision and the power of God to make disciples. We're called to be... You get this, right? As Christians, we're called to be something we cannot be. We're called to do things we cannot do in our own power. We're called to be vessels of the Holy Spirit of God so that it requires the working of God in us to be able to accomplish what God wants to do through us. You get that. You understand that when Jesus says... Even the commandments, the, the picture of righteousness. Don't tell an untruth. Don't bear false witness. All right? Don't hate. Don't murder. Jesus brings that to the heart. Don't hate in your heart. Don't commit adultery. Jesus brings that to the heart, the attitude of the heart. Don't look upon a person to lust after them. You understand that we can't do any of that apart from the power of God who lives within us. That's what Romans 8 is about. Therefore, there is therefore... There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. We couldn't come to Christ on our own by, by or come to God on our own by fulfilling the righteous requirements of the law. Jesus did that, and then He comes to live within us so that we are able to now satisfy the requirements of the law, walking after the Spirit rather than after the flesh. And so, evangelism is is hard. Which simply means it calls us to depend upon the providence of God, the power of God, the working of God. It's going to require faith, by the way. You've got to obey. You've got to obey. It's the illustration I used a few weeks ago. I have a great gym. Gym does me no good if I don't show up. Living by faith means I'm going to be obedient to do something I can't do, trusting that God will enable it to happen in me and through me. And so... That's first. We don't depend upon our own resources to make disciples. We depend upon the provision and the power of God to make disciples. Now, the second observation from this text is simply that the results are dependent upon God's working, not your skill. Now, I think you ought to cultivate skill as an evangelist. 
think you ought to know the Word of God and you ought to be able to memorize passages of Scripture and you ought to speak the Word of God, the testimony of God into the lives of people. And I think you ought to be continually working on that process. However, here's the good news. It's not dependent upon your competency. It's not dependent upon your skill. These guys were told, go house to house. And when you go to a house, if they say, welcome, welcome. And if they say, no, then just go to the next house. Because there are those who are appointed to salvation. There are those who are not, according to Acts chapter 13. Salvation belongs to God. It is the Holy Spirit who convicts of sin and righteousness and judgment. God's Word, God's living Word, is that which opens the eyes of the blind. Blind. This does not diminish our role or lessen our responsibility. Some of the people that we talk to, some of the people in your family, your circle, people you know, who don't have a relationship with God, who are lost and need to be saved, who are struggling with life. Some of the people you know are going to be receptive. And some of the people you know are not going to be receptive at all. Here's you. The command is to love them all. But let me make this a little bit less hard. All right? The call here, and what I'm asking you to do, is not to argue with the people that don't want to listen to you. Have you guys ever seen that kind of evangelism? The red in the face, spit kind of flying out of the mouth. And, and I'm not talking about passion. It's okay to be passionate, be red in the face and spit. No, that's not what I'm talking about. Okay, feel free. What I'm talking about are those who, who feel like you have to blast or beat or condemn someone into the kingdom of God. Now, God's truth condemns us of our sin. We are condemned already. I want you to understand that. But I want you to do what Jesus told these people to do. And that is, talk to those who are willing to listen. How about that? You guys remember in Acts chapter 13, the Apostle Paul is on his missionary journey. He's traveling. He goes to uh, a certain city. Again, you can look this up in the passage. Down around verse, uh, I guess, mid-40s, all the way down through the end of the 50s. Uh, Paul is preaching, and he goes to the synagogue, first to the Jews, and he gives a tremendous message about Jesus Christ and who He is, and many people followed, both Jew and Gentile, the God-fearers, the Gentiles who were, who were trying to become Jews or interested in becoming Jews. And then the Jewish leaders in the hardcore group of that church, when they saw the crowds show up the next day, they were jealous because Paul was getting the crowds and they weren't getting the crowds. And they shot him, shot him down. I mean, they shut him down. They, we don't want to hear this. We don't want anybody else to hear this. And Paul simply said, okay, but there was this whole other group of people who said, we want to hear it. And Paul said, okay. And he turned his attention upon them, the ones who were willing to hear. It's interesting that the Scripture makes it abundantly clear that a great harvest came in that day of those who were appointed unto salvation. That's the, that's the passage in Acts chapter 13. A whole harvest came in just by speaking to those who are willing to hear. This is Acts chapter 13, verse 48. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And then the fourth observation of this passage. We want to be, we are called by God to be. There's more than that, I think. Uh, speaking to our church, if you're a part of Pendle Street Baptist Church and you're called to be a part of this body of Christ and God has placed you in this body, we have a corporate focus. Now, you all live in different places. And you have family members and you have co-workers, and you have people in your community that you see on a regular basis, and they need to be a focus. They need to be people that you're praying for. They need to be people that you are proclaiming the good news to. 
But I don't want us to miss that I believe God put this congregation in this community in 1889 and has kept us here all this time to be a witness in this community. And so this week, and of course over the next three weeks, we're going to be praying specifically for the people who live right around here. Now, that didn't mean you only pray for them. You pray for the people in your sphere of influence. You pray for the people that you have contacts with. But do not neglect to pray for the residents of the West End. We are going to be discovering who lives here, uh, what their issues are, what their struggles are. We're going to be doing this as, as a way to prepare us to come back to this location to be a witness and a light in this neighborhood and in this community. As we do this, and I think probably just the last observation from that passage 3-8, through eight, as we represent God in the West End and in the community where you live, be content. I love what Jesus told the 72. If someone welcomes you into their house, you go in and make yourself at home. And you give peace to them as they give peace to you. And don't always be looking for a better place. Don't be looking for better food. Don't be looking to advance your status or your setting from a world perspective or a comfort perspective. We are never called. Get this. Get this. This is so hard sometimes for us, even when we don't admit it. We're never called to convenience. We're just never called to what's easy. Uh, We're never called to our schedule. We're never called to our extra that we can do something with. We're never called to convenience. We are always called to extend grace sacrificially as Christ has done. We need to see ourselves as we really are, deserving nothing or worse than nothing, actually. We see the grace of God in His gra- and we respond in gratitude and joy. And we have compassion on those who haven't heard. And now, how do we share the gospel? What does that mean, to share the gospel? What is the gospel? And we know, I'm confident that, uh, that we know that we're familiar with the gospel. Before we get to the good news, there has to be an understanding of the bad news. There is a Creator who created us, who is holy and just, and who loves us, and whom we have sinned against. And He is holy and just, and so He's got to execute judgment. He's got to be just in how He deals with us. And we have transgressed His law, and so we are worthy of punishment. We are, the Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, that there's none righteous, no, not one, that there's none that seeks after God. Uh, we know that. We're aware of that in our heart. Everyone is born separated from God by sin that we have inherited from Adam. We're separated from God by the willfulness of our own heart. And we need saving. We need to be brought to life. And here's the good news. Jesus is the Savior. Jesus forgives sins. He washes us clean. Jesus becomes our life. And He makes us new. He makes us right with God. And He is our strength. He's a strength for our living. He gives us new priorities. He gives us new purpose. He gives us an eternity with Him to look forward to. And we need to be sharing this good news with people. I've got to tell you, there are people who know that there's a lot of bad news around us. There are people who are struggling. There are people who need to know that there are people who care. Who genuinely care. And that's the third point. And now we're going to read a little bit further down in the same text. In this text, in verse 9, 
Jesus told him to do something which was I thought was pretty interesting. He told them to, to not only to eat their food, but to heal the sick in their household. And to say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. What was the testimony that the kingdom of God, what was the validating miracles that he gave them? It was to do good. It was to heal. It was to help. In just a few verses later, verses 30 through 37, we have a man who's challenging Jesus. And uh, Jesus responds to him by saying, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, one who worked in the temple. When he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, a natural enemy of the Jews, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he, get that, had compassion. He cared. And he went to him, his caring had action. He went to him and he bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, that's medicine, and he gave him on his, and then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn, which would be the first aid place, the hospital, and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii, took out money, and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I'll repay you when I come back. And then Jesus speaking to that man, said, Which of these three, or of these three, do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers? And he said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, you go and do likewise. Here's what I want you to know. Our goal is not to simply fill up buildings with people. That's not our goal. Now we pray that God will add daily to the church those that should be saved. We pray that we will have a significant reach and impact for God's glory and for God's good. I want you to understand that. But our purpose is to help people come to the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that message, the message that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, the message that Jesus has come to seek and save, that message is validated when we demonstrably care for others. When we genuinely care for others. Again, just a few observations from this passage of Scripture. I think it's important that we help when it's not expected. (laughs) The priest, I could see him stopping and helping. He's a priest. He's supposed to do stuff like that. That's his job. The Levite, oh man, he's one of those religious guys that works with the priest in the temple and prepares the food. He's got service for his job description. Surely he's going to be the one to help. And they went on the other side of the road. Who helped? The unexpected one. The the enemy of the one. The one, the Samaritans who don't like Jews and the Jews don't think much of Samaritans either. But they help. Um, one of the books I read not too long ago. And if I think of the author, his name just left me. You would know him. But if, <laughs> I think it was Max Lucado. Uh, I'll, I'll share it with you where he found it. But he was dealing with a person who was struggling with sexual sin. And that person said, they, they were just at wit's end. I don't know what to do. I feel like I'm in a downward spiral. I don't know what to do. And, and Max said, why don't you come to church? And they said, why, why would I go to church? I already feel bad enough. And their perception was that church was just going to make them feel worse. 
And you guys know there are people who have uh, couples who have have uh, aborted their children. Uh, there are people who are drug addicts and are struggling trying to get off of the drugs. There are people who are drunkards and trying to get off of their dependence or their escapism into alcohol. There are people who are struggling with all kinds of sins around us all the time, everywhere. And the church needs to be a place that's seen as a place where people are cared for and where they're loved, not as simply a place where they are condemned. We care. Why don't you come to church? Why would I want to go to a Baptist church? I feel bad enough as it is. The answer is because we care. Because we love you. Because we have good news. We have a Jesus who heals. A Jesus who forgives and restores. A Jesus who makes you right with God. Be the unexpected person to show compassion on your neighbors and your communities and in this community. And sincerely help. i got to tell you, uh, working with churches and in and through churches and around churches, I, I, there are some things that you can just pick up on. One of the things that you pick up on in a lot of churches' ministry is, you know, we'll be kind, but we'll be kind because we want benefit from you. We want you to come. We want you to give. We want, and so it's almost like manipulation. We will love you, and here's what we expect in return. Grace is giving without expectation of return. It is a characteristic of Christ. It is a characteristic of us. This Samaritan had compassion. He had nothing to gain. He wasn't manipulating the situation for his benefit. And that is what some of us need to pray. We just don't like people enough. You guys like people? How many, how many of you have said, well, I can't tell you how many times pastors have said, church would be great if it weren't for the people. Or teachers have said, school would be great if it weren't for the students. Or administration. Or how many times, you know, it would be great except for, and we just don't like people enough. And so here's what we need to do. We need to ask God to change our perspective on people. We need to ask God to help us see people as He sees them, to love people as He loves them. And we need to pray, God, give me a sincere love for people. I guess the Verse 34, when the Samaritan went to him and bound up his wounds, he poured on oil and wine, he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. We're to invest, when we love people, we are to invest our skills, our talents, our abilities, our time, our resources. How can we help? How can we get involved? What skills and ability has God given you that you can use to display his love toward people? including and specifically talking with them about Jesus. It has been, we have been accused as evangelicals. We have been accused of ignoring the physical needs of people and focusing only upon what we determine their, to be their spiritual needs. And there are others who say, no, we need to be completely focused on helping people rise above the situation where they are. We need to help them be able to get jobs and get more money and get a place to live get adequate housing or better housing, be better able to manage their relationships and be better able to manage their lives. I will tell you that the Bible speaks so much about caring for the poor. The Bible speaks so much about displaying God's grace and kindness in so many different ways that we cannot neglect that. However, if we just provide for people's physical needs and never share the true life that is found in the Lord Jesus Christ, 
then we've missed the opportunity. And here's the point. Those don't stand in opposition to each other. Those go together with one another. You care for the whole person, not just for their name on a roll, and not just that they have enough food to eat, but sometimes you have to feed them in order to get an ear that will hear. You have to demonstrate love as a vehicle for us to share the gospel, which takes us to kind of the last observation. This guy was willing to put his money where his mouth was, to put his money where his heart was, maybe a better way to say that. He invested his resources. He took out two denarii. He gave them to the innkeeper. He said, take care of them. Whatever more you spend, I'll repay you when I get back. And this is when we take up the offering. Of course, uh, yeah, click that button on the website right now and give generously to the work of God. Now, I want you to give obediently. I want you to give out of a heart of joy. (laughs) And I'm making light of something that I shouldn't make light of probably. But here's what I want you to understand. Yeah, you ought to give to the church. You ought to give to the work of the church because the work of the church should be the work of Christ. And if it's not, you need to find a church that is. And you need to invest your finances in that. Uh, and additionally, there are ways that you can give to meet the needs of the poor. But, but how about this? How about you just acknowledge as we continually preach and teach about that everything you have is a gift from God and it belongs to God anyway. And as He makes you aware of a specific need that someone has, don't be unwilling. The opposite of that, be willing to happily contribute to the needs as a means of displaying genuine compassion for those who need. Now, I told you it was hard. (laughs) And I told you it was non-negotiable. But I also told you it is more than possible. Empowered by the Holy Spirit who lives within us. Lord willing, we're going to start having worship services regularly here on the West End. Not, Not immediately, but over the course of the next year or two. And there's a great need all around us. There's a need for people who are affluent, and need for people who are not affluent. There's a need for people who seem to be succeeding in life and people who are struggling with life every single day. And the need is the same. The need is a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And God calls us. Listen, He calls you personally. Don't miss that. You need, I, I pray that the Holy Spirit convicts you personally as much as He has convicted me personally. God calls you personally. But He calls us corporately. He calls us as a church to intentionally invest our budget, invest our calendar, invest our resources, our time and our schedule to be light, to love this community enough to get to know them, to see what their needs are, to help meet those needs in order that we may, with legitimacy and credibility, do good in order to heal the sick and tell them the kingdom of God is coming, to get credibility in order to have a a platform, a voice in which to share the gospel of Christ. Now, one of the neat things about Greenville is it's growing. One of the terrible things about Greenville is it's growing. Have you tried to find a parking spot on Main Street lately? And I know everybody talks about Woodruff Road and the traffic there, but go down Augusta Road at lunchtime. Now, most of the time when we are in line and you get you got an hour for lunch and you go to the restaurant and there are 40 people ahead of you, you think, I wish all these people would just go back home. Or you see this row of traffic and you're at the traffic light and it's from red to green and you move forward and then it's red again. And you just don't make it. And you're like, 
I wish these people would just go wherever they came from. I wish they'd just go back. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray for God to change your perspective and to look at crowds of people like Jesus looked at crowds of people. In Matthew chapter 9, Jesus is calling the disciples. He's just called Matthew the tax collector. And he's in this process of calling disciples. And he uses this same phrase. Pray the Lord of the harvest. He'll send forth laborers into the harvest. What's going on? There are crowds of people out there. And when they look at the crowds, the disciples, you know, <laughs> what to think, don't know what to think. Jesus tells us what to think. When he looked at the crowds, his heart was moved with compassion. And he saw them as sheep without a shepherd. He saw their need. And he was glad for the crowds. And yet lamenting the fact that there weren't enough laborers to go into the crowds. We need to be those people. We need, first of all, to have compassion, to ask God to use us, to invest our time and our resources to meet needs. But I want to close this sermon this morning and this emphasis with a specific call. We are doing corporate prayer time where we are in our own homes, following prayer guides, praying over the same passages of Scripture. This week on Friday, I want to go ahead and advance it up and say, make this a part of your prayer every week. And that is, I want you to pray for one another. I want you to pray that the Lord will make each other evangelists. I heard a preacher, <laughs> heard a, preacher uh, a couple of weeks ago who said, I don't like L-shaped amens. Have you guys ever heard of an L-shaped amen? Preach it, brother. That guy over there needs it. Okay, I kind of preach it because they need an L-shaped amen. Today, we're doing an L-shaped amen. I want you to be praying for the people who need it. The people who are here, the people in your home, on your sofa, recliner, floor. The people who you normally see on Sunday. I want you to look around and I want you to start praying for one another. That God will make us actively, enthusiastically involved. Remembering this, that it's not our own power. Not our, so what do we need? If it's not our skill that God needs, and it's not our competency that God needs, what does God need? What is God calling? What's He asking for from us? Availability. He's asking you to say yes. He's asking for a yes. Matter of fact, he's not asking for a yes. <laughs> Let's be clear. He's commanding a yes. And to say no is to disobey. But here's what comes with a yes. What comes with a yes is the power of God working in you so that you become a midwife in the family of God. You become a part of of the of seeing people experience forgiveness. Have you ever, have you ever gotten up off your knees or just across the table from someone and heard them pray and ask God to forgive them? I want you to know that joy. It'll make you shout in a restaurant. I'll tell you right now. You get to see God at work, not only in your life, but you get to see God rescue the perishing. You get to see God give hope to people who have no hope. And if they won't listen, tell them I love you, I'm praying for you, I'll check on you later, and go find somebody who will. Here's the joy 
when we walk in obedience to God, we never walk alone. Our band's going to come, and they're going to lead us in that song as we close our service together today. Father, thank you for the privilege that we have of being part of your work in the world. You call us to be evangelists, so non-negotiable. We are to proclaim the good news, to shout it from the mountaintops, as we sang earlier today. And so many times we just don't. We just shut our mouths. We don't do the things that you call us to do when it comes to caring for people enough. And I pray for this for us right now, first of all, that we will love people more. That you'll help us to develop a heart and a compassion for the people that we see when we're in the crowds, when we're in the traffic, when we're in the restaurants, when we're in the stores, when we're going through the activities of life, that we will become sensitive to the needs, to the people around us and see them as fields white unto harvest, not simply as people in our way, but as fields white unto harvest. And give us a compassion for them. And help us most of all, Father, simply to say yes. Yes, I will be used by you. Yes, I will by faith take a step. Yes, I will speak truth into people's lives. Knowing this, when I walk with you, I do not walk alone. Father, thank you. In your name I pray. Amen.